We're talking about Nadia Boltz-Weber and the interviews she did on Colorado Radio. Are we broken or are we sinners in need of redemption? Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're he mistaken. Said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word, fastest. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Like the dead of winter, this is Table Talk Radio. Ready for another <laughs> edition. Pastor Wilkman's over there. He's exhausted <clears throat> from being on the radio for like eight hours yesterday. Oh, yeah. It's a marathon. I'm ready for this, though. I'm okay. ready. Good. Well, the well, microphone gets me jazzed up. I'm, I know that I'm here. I know that there's three or four people listening. I know that we're going to listen to Nadia Boltz Weber. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, the, talk the, about something? The spirit of the Flammy lives on. Uh, this is something that he recommended for our discussion here on the show uh, several months ago, but, uh, you know, as... Who? <laughs> don't you, ha- don't you have... Um, like there in the narthex, a, a great big picture of former pastors, and it's like eight and a half by eleven for Pastor Flammy. There, we do not have that Hall of Fame for pastors. <laughs> <laughs> now I understand that Pastor Flammy is irreplaceable. Is that correct? He, yeah? That's true. He's irreplaceable, <laughs> as as noted by me trying to replace him these last three weeks, trying to fill his spot. How did he do all this stuff? I mean, all of a sudden... This is what it's like to be a pastor? <laughs> Man, this is a lot of work. Well, you, you mean we do services every Wednesday in Advent? My goodness. I've had to, I know, I know. I've had to cut down from three naps to two. Just try to keep up. All right. Well, well done. Well, he, he continues to, to give us some material, so we take it up here on Table Talk Radio. He has some audio that he recommended for our discussion from Colorado Matters. From Colorado Public Radio. This came from the preset setting of Pastor Wolfmiller's car radio. Was, it's You know who listened to the Colorado Public Radio is the Flammy. And I could always tell when he was listening because he'd come into the office. He wouldn't even go into his office. He'd come straight into my office huffing about something. I'd be like, ah, listening to NPR again? <laughs> yeah, listen to this. Now, now there would be CPR. That I guess that's probably a fitting... Colorado Public Radio. That's a fitting acronym, I suppose, if you're going to be listening <laughs> mm-hmm. to that too much. But first, we need to hit some buzzwords. So, Pastor Wolf, what's oh, your buzzword? Oh, yeah. My buzzword for you is passions. Passions. I'm going to read you the definition of passions from this book that I found yesterday. I hit the gold mine yesterday when I found this book. This is the book that I've been looking for. It's called The Doctrine of the Passions Explained and Improved, or... A brief and comprehensive scheme of the natural affections of mankind attempted in a plain and easy method with an account of their names, nature, appearances, effects, and different uses in human life to which is subjoined 
Moral and Divine Rules for the Regulation or Government of Them by Isaac Watts, hmm. printed in London in 1770. I got this on the Google. I've been looking for, I, I had a note somewhere that says, uh, go to the old philosophers and theologians that talk about the inner life. What are the names given to the inner life? And I had, couldn't find anything. And then, blam, doing a hymn study. I found this book by Isaac Watts. It's great. So here's how. So he's describing the passions or affections. The emotions is what he's doing. This is a book. It's like the handbook of emotions. And, uh, and here he says this. The passions may be thus described. They are those sensible commotions of our whole nature, body and soul, which are occasioned by the perception of an object according to some special properties that belong to it. So Isaac Watts says there's an object and it and we perceive it and depending on the uh, the object we have different uh, reactions to it and that's our passions. So if there's a rare object, the passion is admiration or wonder. If there's a good object, the the uh, the passion is love. If there's an evil object, the passion is hatred. And this gets described and broken down into lots of subsets. So that for you, that is your buzzword, passions. Okay. I'd like you to use it as defined by Isaac Watts. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. All right, I'll do my best. Uh, my theological buzzword for you is theonomy, and literally meaning God's law. This is the post-millennial idea um, that God's law will be established in the earth as sort of the governmental law prior to the coming of Jesus. So theonomy is your buzzword. Piece of cake. Okay. Well, uh, so as we mentioned, we're going to be listening to some audio from Nadia Boldsover. Do you ever bump into her walking around Denver, you know, like, hey, Nadia, what's up? We go to the same tattoo shop. Oh, good, good. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, uh, she is pastor of the church that she founded, uh, All Saints Church there in Saint, Denver. Uh, House for All Saints and Sinners. There it is. House for All Saints and Sinners. And it's she, great to take the simul cliche and make put it into a church name. I wanted to start a church called Holy Lump, from what St. Paul says to the Corinthians. We are a holy lump. Can you imagine that? Holy Lump Lutheran Church. Nice. Now, uh, Holy Lump Lutheran Church of Justification by Grace Alone Through Faith Alone. Now, the All Saints and Sinners um, there that, that Nadia past, pastors, that's ELCA Church, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think does, so. Does it have Lutheran in the name, or is that not a thing in the ELCA? I don't know. I don't think it does. No, House for All Saints and Sinners. Okay. They meet in some Episcopalian church, so I don't even think they have their own gotcha. building. All right. I don't, no, I don't think it has the name Lutheran. Although her husband, named Matthew Boltzweber, I don't know which one was brought the Bolts and which that one brought the Webbers to the name. Interesting. He he is pastor in town also of Holy Love Lutheran Church. That guy I know and I've met a couple of times. Hmm. Uh, we had coffee a few years back, a long time ago. Man, a long time ago. That's I had that key conversation with Matthew Boltzweber. Did I ever tell you about this? No. He and I were having coffee, and I said, hey, Matthew, I was, I was a baby pastor. This was maybe 10, 11, 12 years ago. And I said, when people ask me the difference between the Missouri Synod and the ELCA, so the LCMS and the and the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, I say that the, we in the Missouri Synod say the Bible is God's word, and the ELCA says the Bible contains God's word. And he says, no, Brian, that's not it at all. That's not how that goes. We believe the Bible's God's word. And I said, well, why is your wife at seminary learning to be a pastor? She wasn't a pastor yet. Why is she at seminary going to be a pastor? After all, God's word says that I don't permit a woman to preach or teach in the church. 
And um, but the roommate silent, and he says, "Oh, that's not part of the scripture." <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I said, "Okay, thank you." He confirmed the point. He confirmed the point while denying it at the same time. So it's not so so that the parts that you don't like, it's not just like you have the Bible and then the the parts of the Bible you like. It's just the parts that you like that's scripture, and the parts you don't like, ah, that's not scripture. Written by the by the what by the racist Saint Paul. Well, the misogynistic St. Paul, the the occasion for Nadia Boldsweber to appear on CPR was the uh, publication of her latest book, Accidental Saints, Finding God in All the Wrong Places. Here's the first clip in the interview with Nadia Boldsweber. There are somewhere around 250 people in your congregation. Oh, there's much more. There's like 400. 400. We have old numbers. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been growing. It's big, yeah. You meet in Denver's North Capitol Hill neighborhood, and you welcome LGBTQ individuals, people struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. You welcome agnostics and non-believers. Uh, you consider yourself an Orthodox Lutheran. You write in this book, there are many reasons to steer clear of Christianity, no question. What do you mean? Oh, man. I totally understand why people don't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, every time... I hear Sarah Palin say something irretrievably mean and stupid about poor people. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I get why people wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. There's so many bad representations, and it's been so perverted for so long. But um, but the fact is, is that, that that symbol system is still really powerful at its core, despite the fact that myself and so many other people have done damage to it, right? Despite the fact that it's had bad representation, myself included, that particular symbol system has so much redemption and beauty in it that I think it's, we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. All right. What do you think of that? So, so she, she says, what does she call Christianity? A set of symbols? Um, well, is that her name for it? I don't think so. I think, I think that she was talking about it's, um, portrayal as a symbol system i think is what she's so so how mm. how how, how people perceive christianity that's inter it's very interesting she's saying there that i understand totally why people don't want to be christians because you look at how stupid sarah palin is and you say man i don't want to be a christian that's a bit of a non sequitur for me that sarah palin would mean that like i guess the, the it's the idea is this the idea that like mean conservatives claim to speak for Christ and therefore people who are not mean conservatives don't want to be Christians. Do you I, think that's the argument? I think that's part of it. I, I think she's also attacking um, the uh, perspective of, of Christianity that says what Christianity is, is moral improvement or behavior modification so that all that we hear from churches do this, do this, do this, do this. And that, I mean, she'll she'll reference a lot in these interviews like the Ned Flanders, so that she's trying to say, you know, we're not the Ned Flanders kind of Christianity. Hmm. So we're just not. Um, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I wrote a book about that. I mean, how American Christianity has failed, but I don't think it's, you know, it's it's not failed because it it like it took the law too seriously. The problem is not taking the law seriously enough so you can't ever get oh, to repentance. That is going to be an interesting point as we continue to listen to this audio. We need to take a quick break first. So during this break, head on over to our website, tabletalkradio.org. If you're already at tabletalkradio.org, stay at tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
There's other places on the website besides from ours? Nope. Other places on the internet but, but Table Talk Radio? Make it your homepage. Table That's Talk right. Radio. It's everyone's favorite. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Well, welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're listening into some audio from Nadia Bolds-Weber. And uh, she, <laughs> Nadia Bolds-Weber, on Colorado Public Radio, Colorado Matters. How many generations do you think you can hyphenate a name? Like, the Bolds-Weber <laughs> kids will get married to, like, what What? What? then do you have? Like, the Wolfmuller gag line. Then you're, like, Fred, Nadia Bolts-Wolfmuller gag line. And then... Yeah. It's eight. And then, 12. like, the next generation, you got, like, eight names. Yeah, you got to because, you know, it's uh, it's admitting some kind of a submission or headship to take one person's name over another. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I you know, we were talking about making Table Talk Radio our homepage, which everybody should do. I think one million points for anybody who makes Table Talk Radio their homepage for a week. It's awesome. Right. So if you do that, just email Pastor Wolfmuller. PRBW at tabletalkradio.org, and he'll take care of that arrangement. I'm just impute him. Don't even, don't even, just know that I've given you a million. I don't have to know. What do you think this oh, is? Just a Calvinist thing? Out. That it's, there's no actual delivery of such points? Yeah, that's right. It just appears in the heart. <laughs> no, there's no, the points are transferred without, apart from means. All right. If you say so. Now, I'm always wondering if I'm one of those who... Never mind. Uh, okay, here is the next clip from this interview. You include yourself in how Christianity has been poorly represented. What, what do you mean? Well, like, I'm just not that nice. You know, I, I'm not... I, I'm not... I'm not... There's, like, this... There's this huge distance between, like, my ideal self and my actual self. And and I, I am always aware of that distance. And yet, I think that, like, the self who God has a relationship to is my actual self. I mean, I think that's one reason why Christianity is so powerful. I don't know why it's been sold as a behavior management program for so long, like a way to sort of perfect yourself and make yourself into something shiny and perfect, because that would imply you then didn't need God. What, how, how, what is that? that doesn't even make sense. All right. Hmm. Well, that's true. Christianity is not... Uh, behavior modification program, mm-hmm. uh, although it includes that called the, it's called the Ten Commandments, and also we believe in ethics. Uh, but it and is more than that. I mean, I mean that's part of what we mean by sanctification, right? Yeah, I mean, but they, but it is certainly more than that. I mean, because everybody, every religion has an idea of sanctification. We have an idea of redemption first, and so it's important. Uh, the idea that God has a relationship with my actual self. But I am not my actual self. This was this is a confusing so, anthropology. I, um, yeah. So, so so that she's saying that did, there's there's the actual on? self. There's me, and then there's my ideal self. You know who I would want to be ideally, and those two um, notions are far from each other. In other words, she's not who she wants to be. She's not the ideal, 
And so the question is, do I have to become the ideal for God to have a relationship with me, or does he have a relationship with who I actually am, flaws included? Oh, yeah. I got you. Oh, yeah, that's well, that's fine. That's fine. But it's weird. isn't this weird where, I mean, if she's contrasting um, what she's got with Ned Flanders' Christian. I mean, I think Ned Flanders is a nice guy. That's mm-hmm. why he's made fun of. And in some ways, she promotes herself as the, you know, the foul-mouthed, mean-spirited pastrix and that, that that's almost it's it's just interesting to me to hear her talking about that as if that's her shame and not her glory mm. i uh and, and saying i'm part of the problem because i'm i don't i'm not as nice as i ought to be and christians should be nice and so i'm not my ideal self i'm my actual self and yet god loves me my my actual self not my ideal self fine that's that's great that's all true but it's what makes it. What's the difference between Sarah Palin, and uh, uh, who's mean to the poor people, mm. and um, and Nadia Boltz Weber, who's mean to the people who are mean to the poor people? <laughs> I would like to. I, I I would like to suggest that here. So here's the big picture. If you, you know, so th- this is the old story. You have three characters in a story. This is the kind of the fundamental shape of the of the world according to an ideological or gnostic view of the world. And that is you have you have the victim and you have the oppressor and then you have the rescuer and the victim is doing mean things. Sorry, the oppressor is doing mean things to the victim. And those are absolutely unexcusable. But the rescuer can do mean things to the oppressor. And all those same mean things are completely excusable. So if you can put yourself into the into the category of the rescuer, the defender of the downtrodden and the oppressed, then you have at your at your disposal, all sorts of inappropriate, sinful activities that are understood to be righteous because you are doing the rescuing. Interesting. You see? Or or to make yourself the victim, right? So 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 one of the things... Oh, by the way, I, I came across this uh, this very interesting YouTube video. Um, it's with... Uh, you, know, you know this guy, uh, Stephen Crowder, Louder with Crowder. And he yeah, does... Have yeah. you seen his Change My Mind videos where he, uh-uh. he sets up a video camera and it's just raw, nothing's edited, and um, he he sets up a table at a college campus and states his position and says, "Change my mind," and it's him in a chair. And uh, so he, the one that I watch is, uh, "There are only two genders." Change my mind, <laughs> and it's fascinating. And um, the 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 gal that that he was talking about. Oh, sorry, I, I just misgendered. Um, anyway, the the person he was talking about. Um, uh, once once they got to a crossroads of where they believed. The, the the excuse was well, you're you're obviously privileged and haven't gone through the same things that these minority groups have gone through, and so what you want to do is put yourself as either the victim or the rescuer, because if you're mm-hmm. the victim, now you has you have special. I mean, you you must have special privileges by being a victim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you you have this need to be rescued, and and everything. Everything is excusable then because you have this emergency thing set up. So you, so there's all. So when you think this way, ideologically, you're always trying to sort out uh, who is the oppressed and who is the oppressor. Women are the oppressed, and the men are the oppressor. The minorities are the oppressed, and the white people are the oppressors. The um, the transgender to the oppressed and who knows Christians <laughs> are the oppressors or whatever. And you, but you can use whatever you want to, you can get away with it, whatever you want, as long as you're the rescuer. Now this, this is why Sarah Palin's hate, uh, supposed hatred for the poor, which I've never heard. I mean, that's a ridiculous. 
But that is inexcusable, while Nadia Boltz Weber's hatred for Sarah Palin is excusable because she is the rescuer who is coming to the to the aid of the oppressed. That's the whole story. And and this is this is why now th- th- it's it, fantastically interesting is that it, it's like this. It's like a rock, paper, scissors sort of thing. So you have the, the you have the scissors. That's the oppressed and the rock is the oppressor. But then you have the paper which comes to the rescue of the scissors by covering up the rock and this sort of thing. So it's this, and it's, so it shifts around. So, so I think what's, what will happen next is the persecution will come to the church and it will be, Jesus says it like this. He says, those, the days are coming that when whoever kills you will think that they do God a service. We say, well, how could murder, murdering a Christian be considered service to God? Well, this is how, is if you are fighting against the oppressor, then you're doing a good, then all your evil stuff is considered to be a good work. And I think that is what answers this question of how how um, Nadia's sarcastic mean-spiritedness is good, hmm. whereas Sarah Palin's is not. That's That at least is my guess of how this whole thing is starting to shake out. Okay, now I think there's going to be a big question that we deal with in this Um and, and I see that we're two minutes away from our next break, and that's not enough time for the next sound bite. So I'll just um, take this to the end of the break. But um, the big question, I think, in this, and may, maybe you need the other clips to start to get there, but the big question is going to be, uh, what is repentance? Because um, there, there's a difference between you know who I really am and the ideal that I should be, and God has a relationship with me, not my ideal. So in other words, I don't have to become righteous in order for God to have a relationship with me, I can have it in the here and now. Um, and that's true. Uh, however, is this a way to sort of excuse my sin to say, um, well, God accepts me for who I am. So I, if I, you know, am a homosexual, um, then I can take part in the gay pride parade and at the same time say that God doesn't meet my ideal. He meets me where I am. So now that now that we've come up with a reason or excuse to say that um, uh, I am uh, secure in my sins. Now, I think there's even another step to say, uh, well, I'm I'm sorry for my sin. That is to say that I'm sorry that I am a, a, a broken person. Um, I'm a victim of the fall. And this is just now who I am, but God has a relationship with me because he's going to be the redeemer. And what's missing in that understanding is that sin isn't the, it's you know a victim mentality of Adam's sin. It doesn't yet take ownership of the transgression I have committed against God and the wrath I deserve for that sin against God. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating move, isn't it? Because I, I still don't think that they've... Even though the the liberal kind of churches like this, they want to make that move to shift away from repentance and say that God is okay with sin. The thing that they 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 still are going to say that there's something wrong. Like just take for example the the example that you gave of the of the homosexual person tempted with homosexuality. Is that is there is that wrong or not? Because if God accepts the broken and the downcast and the downtrodden, are you going to put me? because of my homosexuality into that category of downtrodden is that the move that you're going to make and that's still an offensive move i mean it's mm-hmm. not saying that it's sin but it's still casting it out so uh, in the end it 
you're trying to, I think, appeal to the edges of society, but you're you're doing the same thing. You're just drawing them in closer so you have more leverage when you slap them in the face. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to take a break. A lot more of this interview left for us to discuss. We're going to do that right after this quick break. You are listening to Table Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after these messages. Friends don't let friends listen to Table Talk Radio. Uh, You have no friends. The Daily Bible Meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Recently on Colorado Public Radio program Colorado Matters, interview of Nadia Bowles-Weber is the interview that we are listening to and responding to here on Table Talk Radio. Here's the next clip from this interview. And you write in this book about a woman named Alma White. How did she shed new light on what it means to be saintly for you? And who is Alma White? Well, I um, you know, I started the church when I was still in seminary and At the time, I knew of two women in the entire country I could name who had started churches by themselves. It's just not something that happens very often. And I was desperate for role models. And um, a woman who's involved in the church and I uh, were walking down the street uh, right by the Capitol. And we look up and we see KPOF on the top of this church. And we look in the courtyard and there's this memorial to the founder of the Pillar of Fire Church. And it says Alma White. And it was like the early 1900s. And I just looked at her. I was like, Alma is a woman's name. And I just quickly pulled out my iPhone and I looked up Alma White on Wikipedia. And like, I got so excited because it was like, she founded a church in the early 1900s in Denver, like on her own. And I was so excited. And I just kept reading. And she was, you know, the first bishop, female bishop in America. And she, you know, she was known for her feminism. I was like, awesome. And then I kept reading. And it was like, and her association with the Ku Klux Klan and her anti-Semitism. And I was like, wah, wah. Not a role model. No. So I I call my friend Sarah Miles uh, in San Francisco and I go, oh, I thought I had a role model, but it ends up she's just a lousy racist, you know. And she said, well, you know, give me her name and I'll add her to the litany of saints along with all the other broken people of God. And it just made me go, oh, my gosh, she's right. I just... You know, the idea of a saint is like somebody who's so, who's perfected themselves, who's on who's maybe undergone the project of their own sanctification so much that they're practically floating off the ground. And while having traits to admire in other people, there's nothing wrong with that. What I really want is to feel less alone. And I feel less alone when I know the broken parts of people, when they're honest with me about the mistakes they've made, Right. And so I think what we celebrate in the saints is truly God's ability to get beautiful, redemptive stuff done through broken people more than we celebrate the fact that these people have managed to not be broken. Interesting. Hmm. Just fascinating, really. Because where do you draw? I mean, what this is what I wonder. Where do you draw the line? Um. You know, I mean, what what particular sins would this? I mean, how do you sort out if a person is a saint or not? Mm-hmm. 
because what would what was drawing Nadia to this lady was that she was a female bishop and she started a church and well and and but um, the problem was she was a racist and a uh Huh. Yeah. So, I, I mean, what I would wonder, I mean, if, if what is being put forward here is really just um, universalism, is this what you would hear from the 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 priest at the or whatever title they want to use at the Universalist Church? Because um, later in one of the clips, uh, the the interview will ask, "Well, what role do skeptics, atheists, and unbelievers have at your church?" And she says. I can't be responsible for what people believe. It's not your believing that makes you belong, but I'm responsible for what they hear. Um, so it's that their belonging is just showing up. So, so, so we've determined that you know someone who could be a member of the Ku Klux Klan and promote ideas of racism, which we can say aren't accepted, but this person is a saint. But the virtues that I do care about, uh, feminism active, activists and founder of a, of a church, being a woman and being a bishop, those are virtues that I do value. So those are, I mean, those are in, but we can over, God overlooks the, 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 the mistakes when we don't even know if the person identifies these things as mistakes. Yeah, what if, uh, right. What if this lady, instead of being the first bishop, she believed that women shouldn't teach in the church, so mm. she didn't go and start a church, and she also wasn't a racist. <laughs> she loved all people. Would she? Does that? You do you still make the book? You know? <laughs> well, no. I mean, it's interesting. This, and I don't know what what Nadia Bowles Weber's position is on, um, like transgender issues and things like that. But, but if if gender it, it, let me put this: way. If sex, the, the 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 biology of it, if that doesn't matter, uh, why must a woman have a woman role model? Or or if there's an endless number of genders on the spectrum, I mean, there's no definite numeration of genders. Then you know, someone who comes up with this new gender, this is my gender identity. Must I find someone else with that same gender identity in order to have a role model? Hmm. I mean, it's just interesting that that you know the Apostle Paul couldn't be her role model, or Peter, <laughs> or any other man. <laughs> you know, I mean, why was it necessary that a woman would be Jesus. the role model? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good question. All right, well, let's What's just keep the answer now. Now, now, this is interesting because this is the interviewer's follow-up question to what she just said. But if that's the case, if there's so much to celebrate in in flaws what is the point of avoiding sin well that is to say the more i sin the more you could find to love about me pastor nadia yeah probably you know because i do take people's private confession and absolution and honest to god most times it's boring like like nothing nothing personal but like i am unimpressed with your sin you should really go out and try harder but um no <laughs> no but you can't actually avoid sin because it's just we're like human beings have a have a, a capacity for screwing things up there's no way to avoid it now you can avoid a lot of forms of like immorality you know but you're never going to avoid being 
somebody who's broken and who makes mistakes. And the thing is, is that because we're broken and make mistakes, it means that we have no choice but to rely on God. And so having such a sort of low view of human beings allows you to have a high view of God and the way that God comes in and fills in those cracks and manages, like I said, to get beautiful things done through us, even though we are broken. What do you think of that? Well, this is this this great danger that that we just simply describe sin as brokenness. And what happens is, see, if the pro, if the problem is is if if sin is brokenness, then the problem is that is is me. I need to be fixed. But if sin is transgression, it's a it's true guilt before God. Then the problem is God's wrath. So that the solution that the Lord gives is entirely different if our problem is our brokenness versus if our problem is our sin. Um, so so the, 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 if the problem is brokenness, uh, I, I don't need to stand before the judge. I need to go to the therapist, right, so, mm-hmm. so that the therapist can fix me. Um, but, but if I have been given a citation or arrested and charges filed against me, now I'm before the judge, and that's going to be the big difference the way that we regard sin. So so she dr- she drives this wedge between sin and immorality. Immorality is you can kind of fix, but you're always going to have sin. You're always going to have this brokenness that is uh, marked by this weakness. Now, cer- certainly, you know, sin is this weakness and an, an inability to uh, be righteous, uh, which is which is something that is deserving of God's wrath. And that's the, that's the piece that's missing in everything that we're hearing from her. Yeah, that's right. God is just not that upset about it. The problem is not God. And if, this, and if the problem is not God, then the solution is not God either. That's the weird thing. I mean, she wants to be kind of monergistic in this, but the, the, what the Lord is doing, the, the, the gospel is, is that the God accepts us. I think that's going to be the gospel. She hasn't really gotten to articulate it that closely. but Well, and, um, and I think what we heard is going to probably be the closest that we get to it, that we have to rely upon God uh, as an answer for our brokenness. So, so really now what she's done is, I mean, the, the, the hope that we have comes back to law again, this relying upon God. I mean, the, the one, the one who um, is the rescuer, it's a reliance upon the rescuer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, one more clip, and then we'll probably have to respond to this clip on the other side. This seems like an important okay. distinction you make between sin and immorality. Yeah, I mean, a a lot of times they're conflated, and sometimes certainly they overlap. But I think the problem with saying, oh, sin is like this list of no-nos, and if you can manage to avoid them, then you're good. Um, I've never met anybody who's managed to avoid being a sinner, because even if you manage to live this super-duper clean-cut moral Ned Flanders life, then you're just prideful, right? And then now, again, that's a sin, right? So we all think on some level like this kind of work or what I call law will save us. Like, just give me a plan. Give me some work to do. Give me a project to undertake. And somehow that will save me. But the thing is, is when you're under a work plan or you're under the law, you only have two choices, pride or despair. You're either prideful about the fact that you're pulling it off better than other people, or you despair at the fact that you never managed to pull it off. And either way, there's no freedom in that. 
All right. So we have about uh, 15 seconds before our break here. Well, there is a danger in good works. She's right. This is the opinio legis, that we always want to be righteous before God by our works. So insofar as it goes, it's right. We all are sinners and guilty. Uh, the answer, though, is, I mean, I don't know. The answer is the death of Jesus, which we haven't heard yet. The, the, the kindness of God demonstrated by the death of Jesus on the cross. All right. Well, when we get back, three more clips from this interview. We'll see what how how Nadia Boldweber compares Jesus to Facebook. <laughs> oh, it's always got to come back to Facebook, doesn't it? We're going to be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Stay tuned. Did you forget what show you're doing? Yep. <laughs> One blissful moment of forgetfulness there. You're listening to Table Talk. Uh, guys, this is really bad. I, I can't do this anymore. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. We're back on Table Talk Radio. We're listening to this uh, audio from Colorado Public Radio where Nadia Boldweather is speaking with such passions about her new book and her perspective on uh, religion. And didn't catch that buzzword, huh? Okay. All right. Um, oh. so, <laughs> although I didn't use it in the proper definition, but I defined where I, I deconstructed what you had as a buzzword and used it as my own. Very Bolts Webbery of you. I, I wonder. The next question is going to be, uh, what are your opinions about theonomy? <laughs> Ooh, That's the only one. way I can get the buzzword. That's to. a good one. All right, here is uh, how uh, Nadia will compare Jesus to tagging on Facebook. You say Jesus is like a Facebook friend who always tags bad photos of you. Yeah. yeah, you know the ones where like your one eye's half closed and your butt looks really big? Uh-huh. Yeah. You mean, you mean virtually every Facebook photo? Exactly. Why is Jesus like that? Well, he's. I just feel like Jesus is like relentless for not letting us off the hook when we think that we can justify ourselves. Like people would always come to him and be like, hey, look, like I honor my father and mother and I go to the temple and I tithe. So like I'm good, right? Like I've justified myself. I've undergone the project of my own sanctification. And he's like, well, have you sold all your possessions and given them to the poor? You know, it's like the people who were stoning the woman caught in adultery. They're, he's like, you who are without sin cast the first stone. So basically every single attempt that we have to justify ourselves, Jesus says, not so fast. All right. Um, so I think we're starting to see how Nadia would see what sin is. And it's really only... Um, this coming to Jesus and thinking you have things figured out. But if, if uh, you find any fault, whether it, whether you see it as a transgression or not, then that's not a sin. Hmm. It is interesting. It's, it's this very existentialist kind of Heidelberg thesis, uh, Lutheranism. Um, so the main thing that the main sin that Jesus is getting after is the sin of pride. I, I mean, I suppose it's true. Mm -hmm. 
that means that's the most dangerous sin of all because it cuts us off from repentance. But, um, but then what happens? I mean, the, the danger on the other side is the gospel becomes an excuse to sin. I now I didn't hear that in what no. Nadia said, and maybe she wouldn't say that. Um, but I think it's behind this brokenness thing again. I mean, I don't, I don't hope I'm not beating a dead horse, but if if I see, um, boy, in this fallen world, I am just a broken sinner. Um, and that I mean, it's the same kind of thing where people say. Well, we're all sinners, right? And that itself becomes an excuse for sin. Um, that that my brokenness uh, means that I don't stand condemned before God. Um, so that uh, you know, if I if I have a uh, a, a lustful eye uh, towards those who not my spouse, I say, boy, this is just. Uh, how I am broken, and that doesn't uh, condemn me. That, that 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 sin that doesn't condemn me to hell. That I would deserve eternal separation from God uh, because of the the transgression. Then we haven't rightly spoken about sin. As if I can. Well, I'm broken. So on the on this side of heaven, I'll just always have a watchful eye, and there's nothing I can do about it until the Redeemer comes and makes right what has gone wrong. You see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what? And this becomes, the gospel then becomes, um, uh, what, an excuse to sin? Uh, I don't, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't want to put, I, I'm, I'm trying not to, I mean, this is, I don't want to put words in Nadia's mouth and make mm-hmm. her try to say more than what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it's... What she says is, is, in this place anyways, what she says is right. I mean, Jesus is relentless in um, in, in pushing us to see the, the, the log in our own eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he can't abide by any pride that would stand in the way of repentance. Right, but I'm, um, but I'm wondering um, why she wouldn't have the same standard for um, the... The, the the outcasts of society who uh you know come into her church i mean um i i guess i mean we don't have it here from this interview but if if she calls her church uh lgbt friendly and so we're welcoming the lgbt community to our church which i you know technically we should all be in, inviting them to our church um but what's the message that is heard from the pulpit uh, during that church right. service, I mean that—that's the question, I mean, yeah. right? Right. So Jesus, the same Jesus who says, "Whoever's without sin, you throw the first stone," is this—it's the same moment. Then, like twenty seconds later, when Jesus says, "Go and sin no more," mm-hmm. um, and it seems like this. Is, so the same mouth of Jesus can preach both law and gospel, and we can't say, "Well, I like this whoever's without sin throw the first stone part," but I don't like this "go and sin no more" part. Uh, you know. So I have I have two more clips. Really, the the first one is is the only substantial one. So if we don't have time for the last one, that is okay. But this one's just a, a little bit longer. So let's get to this this uh, next clip. You sort of okay. dissect sin in the book through the lens of a character named Candy. I think this is not her real name. Um, you met Candy while working as a student hospital chaplain. Candy had lost her unborn child. She had several kids, but couldn't keep any of them. And she also had some physical signs of having used meth. 
You write that people aren't punished for their sins so much as by their sins. What do you mean, and how does Candy illustrate that? Well, the reason I was telling that that story, just to put it in context, was just the um, just the power of of knowing uh, forgiveness, of actually hearing that our worst mistakes do not define the way God sees us, do not give us our identity, just as our greatest victories don't define the way God sees us or mm. give us our identity. And so in that case, um, you know, people really can be weighed down by the things that they've done. I think people can really carry that burden, like I said, of that distance between their ideal self and their actual self. But it's fascinating that I, w- I would want to be freed from my sins and not defined by them. I am less apt to want to be um, separated from my greatest victories. I know. That's a killer, isn't it? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, because um, ultimately pride isn't really going to serve you in the way that we think it will. I mean, I think this is why I believe in God is I just need that power that's bigger than me to save me both from my from my sins, but also from the pride of my victories. Um, people ask me, hey, how many copies of your books have you sold? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I beg pe- my publisher not to tell me because I, there's no good to be had from it. Because if it's more than I thought, I'll be prideful. And if it's less than I thought, I'm going to be depressed. So like, I don't even want to know. Right. So I feel like so much of our lives can sort of teeter into one direction or another in a place that feels more integrated and balanced is to know someone else has this. Like my identity, my worth, my value is not going to be based ultimately in a spiritual way in any way by the things I've done well or the things I've done poorly. There's so much freedom in that. Okay. So there's a lot to to, to latch on to on that one. Uh, what, what do you think about this one? Uh, first of all, Pastor Wolfmiller, that, um, that we're not so much punished for our sins as much as we're punished by our sins. I'd hate to make a, I'd I'd hate to make a hard line between the two because I think both are the case. I mean, yeah, maybe they're both when, in the when, same. When Paul says that, yeah, we when we are by nature children of wrath, that means that the punishment for our sin is not. I mean, sometimes the punishment for our sin is intrinsic in the sin itself. So you, you know, you, um, you go and act violently, and someone else comes against you, and you know you're a brawler, and you get beat up. You know the sin was its own punishment, but the but we don't want to take the Lord out of the picture here. I mean, He can He can also get angry for our sins. He, he promises to do that. Um, so I I don't want to have that hard distinction. Um, hmm. I don't want to have that hard distinction because it's. Yeah, it's just it, you can't sustain it from the scripture, and it lets you off the. You see, you, what what happens is you're letting people off the hook from the anger of God, which is the whole point. It seems like mm-hmm. of this whole theology is that don't worry about God's anger. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that I mean that's something I think we we gain from from uh, Romans chapter one that um that that, that our sins before God uh, do invoke the wrath of God, uh, but they also have present consequences in the here and now yeah i'm trying to get over this i'm trying i'm trying to wrestle with there's something going on in the in the conscience of nadia who is so obsessed with having the identity her identity given to her by god when the same one who has a book called pastrix the cranky beautiful faith of a sinner and saint with herself and her tattoos on the cover 
I mean, that, that, that is a finely cultivated image that she has, and she's promoting it and using it, and at the same time preaching against it. <laughs> There's something strange going on in, in a conscience that, that kind of is able to, to bear that contradiction without blinking much. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's going to be all the time we have. What do you think? Give that's us a it? call 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652, or you can send us an email about what you think, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the, where the points are like all the talk of the atonement that you get. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. This is a tricky knot to untie, you know? Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, it's coma, not a death, alopecosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.